Well, good afternoon. It's good to see everybody. Hey, real quickly, before we dive, dive in here, we'd like to just do an informal poll and find out where people are from. How many of you are from Colorado? Just raise your hand. Okay. How about, how many of you are from, let's find out who came from the, the furthest distance. So just shout out, where are you from? Ohio. Where? South Dakota? Texas? Okay. Atlanta? Oh, Alabama. Pastor Brady was picking on you guys this morning. Okay. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, I think this is going to be uh, a lot of fun, and I'm excited to hear what this guy has to say. I'll, I'll brag on him in just a second. My name is Gabe Jenkins. I've been a pastor on our staff here at New Life for about 10 years. I moved from Kansas. See, I'm from western Kansas. I can't pick on anybody. I, I, I figured that out. Hey, Toto. I've heard that joke so many times. But I spent about eight years uh, here at New Life serving uh, children's ministry and uh, doing a little bit of youth ministry uh, several years ago. And then the last two years have been uh, one of the men's pastors. So it's been a wild journey here at New Life. It's been a lot of fun. And about seven or eight years ago, I sensed a stirring to start writing. And uh, so that was, that was an interesting thing for me. I really hadn't been a writer before. And so I tried to feel my way in the dark through that. And um, it was a it, probably seven or eight year process. But last year, then ended up publishing a book called Deep Waters, uh, God's Invitation to Go Deeper. So that's just in a nutshell uh, about me. Alan, I met him a couple years ago, and towards the end of my journey of writing a book, I met him, and I was thinking, God, why didn't you introduce me to him seven or eight years ago? It was just so helpful to sit with him and have conversations with him. Alan speaks all over the country on this topic. I think he was in Dallas last week, and I'll let, I'll let him uh, introduce himself a little bit more, but uh, just a phenomenal man, and he has a deep knowledge uh, on the topic of writing, so... Yeah, well, hi. I'm really glad you're, you're in this session because our hope is, as people who love to write, love the written word, have a message that God has given you, um, that we can save you some time and some pain and also invite you into something that's a lot more rewarding than most authors ever get to experience. And my background, I was at Thomas Nelson for 20 years spent 20 years with the nonfiction side and then as a publisher on the fiction side. Um, so got to work with pastors from Chuck Swindoll and Max Lucado and Billy Graham and um, John MacArthur and, and on and on um, and see, see them firsthand in their writing and how books come together, but also uh, on the fiction side and just the love of story. And so having worked with probably a thousand authors, you really see, boy, there's a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to stress and comparison and overwhelmed. And ultimately, a lot of those people either implode or the message goes dry over the years. And so that's, that's what we want to speak to you a little bit about today is how to follow the calling you've been given is to be a writer, to pursue the book, the idea, the story, uh, but to do it in a way that brings you life. Yeah, we're going to cover, cover several different topics in the next hour, and then at the end we'll have time for Q&A as well. 
Um, I know a lot of people are saying, well, I just want to, I want to know about how to get published. And so just point me in the right direction, show me how to do that, and, and let me go. But one of the things I think Alan has really helped with and helped me with is it relates with the foundation. So zooming out a little bit and say, okay, put this, put this desire to get published on hold, and let's, let's zoom out, and let's talk about the foundation. And one of the things that I heard from Alan uh, often on the topic of writing was he, he would talk about God's invitation to intimacy. God's invitation to intimacy. you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's my favorite topic. Um, it's the one thing that I'll travel anywhere in the country to speak to creatives about. Writers, storytellers, artists, songwriters, poets, chefs, architects. All of you in here, my guesses, are probably here because God has called you, given you a calling, a gifting, a talent with words, with ideas, and you want to pass those along to other people. And the big question to always ask yourself when you've been given something, when it's been knit into your DNA from before you were born, is, okay, if God gave me this, why? Why did he give me this desire? He gave other people a lot of other desires. Why did he give this desire, this talent to you? And my foundational belief is he didn't give it to you primarily so you could write about him. I do not think that's the primary reason. I don't think the primary reason he gave it to you is so you could do it for him. I would stake my whole life that he gave that gift to you so you could do it with him. With is the word. He wants to do this together with you. And probably 90%, 85% of the authors I worked with over those 20 years missed out on that. They got books written. They got books published. The books might have resonated with a lot of people, but they missed the whole foundation for why God gave them that gift, which was, let's do this together, you and I on the creative playground. It's not first to reach other people. It's first for intimacy with you and God. And when you miss that, your book loses a lot of the life it could have. Your message loses a lot of what it could have because you haven't, you haven't experienced the main reason for your gifting. You've jumped ahead. And it may sound noble. I want to do this for other people. Man, other people need this message. And I think God's saying, slow down, horse. Yeah. Other people may need it, but you need me first. We need to do this together first. And so that's the invitation, I think, that's before us as writers. And it's what's so rare. It's so missed. That's really rich. And my experience really lines up well with that. Oftentimes, my personality is I just want to crank it out and get it done. And so when I started feeling this this stirring to write and to write a book, I'd sit down and I'd be like, okay, I've got three days. Let's go. How much can I get done? And the Lord would often say, Gabe, slow down. Slow down. And so halfway through this, this, this process for me of writing a book, I went back to western Kansas, God's country, <laughs> and I was pheasant hunting. There are some, it's good hunting out there. So that's pretty much all that's happening out there. But... I went out there to pheasant hunt with my dad, and the Lord gave me a picture that really helped me the rest of the way when I was writing this book. And, and so we went out, we were pheasant hunting, we were in this field, 
and we had a golden retriever. And first of all, the dog was thrilled to be hunting, just thrilled. You could just see the joy beaming from this dog. But the dog had to stay, had to understand pace and distance from us as hunters. Because if that dog just took off and sprinted across the field, would completely ruin our pheasant hunting experience. So it was so fun to watch this happen because the dog would run ahead and scare up the pheasants, and then we would try to usually miss. And then my dad would whistle, and the dog would come right back and sit down and look up at my dad and just, <laughs> but just was so excited to be there. And I watched this over and over again. And it was like the Lord was saying, this is a picture of what it should be like when you're riding. Gabe, don't just charge ahead and, and spend three days writing a book and say, the end. That's like the dog just charging to the other end of the field and saying, yes, I covered this ground. But the Lord was teaching me through that experience to enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. Walk closely with the Lord. When he says wait, wait. And, and so that really helped me with pace and staying close to the Lord. Not just saying, okay, I've got to get this done. I've got a limited amount of time. And so let's go, God. And oftentimes God would say, just sit on this chapter for a while. And that was hard for me. I had to just sit there with him and wait. And then he'd say, okay, let's go. But I had to learn that, and that was hard for me. I'm not sure what your temperament is like, but for me, I just, I just wanted to charge ahead and say, let's do this. And I had to learn what you're saying, that God was saying, Gabe, this is a process. Enjoy this. Don't get too far ahead of me. Learn, learn my pace in this, in this journey. Well, and to your point, Gabe, there's, there's this just this phrase that I keep in front of me, which is, you really can't write a better story, fiction or nonfiction, okay? But you can't write a better story than you're living. You just can't. You can try to fake it, but it doesn't work. And so I was with an author, former pastor of a really large church a few months ago, and he was finishing his first book. And as I was over at his home, we were talking, and he was stressed out. It was the last few weeks before everything had to be turned in. So stressed out, a little bit tense, kind of jacked up on coffee. Uh, you know, his hand was, but... You, you really shouldn't be talking about me like this. Well, I'm trying to disguise it. I'm trying to... <laughs> I'm drinking yeah. coffee. He's like, this guy was jacked up on coffee. And I love coffee. But this guy, it just, he was so stressed and overwhelmed. And so he said, man, I can't wait when I'm finished with this in a few weeks for you to read the book. And I knew him well enough to say... I got to be totally honest with you, I don't want to read your book because you have no life in you right now and there's no way what you give birth to will have any more life than you do. See, creating is a birthing process. You're giving birth to something that the world has not seen yet and you cannot do it out of your own strength. You don't have, I don't have enough creativity, enough imagination. It has to be with God. But the, the question is, how do you do it with God? Because it's not just saying a prayer at the beginning of your writing, God be with me, uh, God bless this, God I dedicate this to you. Those are nice things, they're better than not saying it, but that's not an active process of creating with God. And as Gabe was saying, God, when you create actively with him, you're going at his pace. He, if he says, slow down, you slow down. If he says, hey, put, put the laptop up, we're not gonna write today, I wanna take you on a walk, I wanna show you something. Or, hey, you like to normally write where there's no people, we're going to Starbucks today where there's a lot of people. I wanna show you something, I wanna give you something. 
Or he may say, I want to tell you more about your story, capital S, before you try to tell other people's stories. Uh, and, and here's why that's important, guys. An unexamined life leads to really shallow words. If you don't know your own story really deep, in a deep, deep way with God, it doesn't matter how well you know the pages that you're writing because your story is going to be something, the book you're writing, the word you're writing, it could be a blog post, it could be a sermon, it could be a book, but the words you're writing have their power because of their unique interaction of what God has taken you through in your life. That means, for instance, do you know the scars of your story? What are the scars that have happened in your life that are unique to you? A lot of times we try to hide those and actually those are the things that bring life to your words. When people know what you've overcome, what you have fought through, what you have been transformed by, those are the stories only you can tell. But, but so oftentimes as humans, we want to hide those and kind of, we'll teach people, but we don't want to get too personal. Or it's like the pastor who keeps telling stories of his five-year-old, but the five-year-old is 25 now. Like, let's, let's get some current stories. Let's get the messiness of life today because those are the stories that God's woven into your world. Those are the things you're fighting against from the enemy. Those are the ways you're being grown up as sons and daughters. And those are the words that will bring life to others. But so oftentimes, I, t I tell a lot of fiction writers, so oftentimes you know the characters in your novel more than you know yourself. Like, first learn your own story, the theme of your life. If somebody asks you, what is the theme of your life to this point? Would you have a ready answer? If somebody asks you, how's your heart doing? Would you have a ready answer to that? And that ready an the real answer, the deep answer, isn't just, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm doing great. If you ask somebody that and really look into their eyes, usually within about two minutes, there's tears. Everybody's going through something deep and personal. Everybody's overcoming scars. As storytellers, as writers, those are the things you need to know as you create with God because he's woven your story into places that only you've been. And that's what other people need to get a taste of and experience. But it's such a vulnerable process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to sit down and then regurgitate a bunch of information and knowledge. That we, I mean, we could all do that. But to the reader... I mean, that's just, that's a, pretty un, that's a pretty forgettable book. But to the author who is vulnerable, who understands their story and has the courage to tell their story the way God is directing them, that, that's, a, that's a memorable book. That's something that's hard to put down. I mean, think about what, who, who are your favorite authors? What are some of the books that have been the most impactful for you? For me, John Eldridge's writing, I, he, he has just impacted me at such a deep level because I feel like he's very vulnerable. I feel like he's very honest. And so as, as somebody who's reading his book, I lean in. I don't feel like uh, authors like, like John are just regurgitating information. And I, I think it's easy for the reader to pick up on that. Well, yeah, exactly. And here's the thing, guys. The world, our world does not need more books. We don't need more sermons. In fact, if nobody ever wrote another book, preached another sermon, 
we couldn't listen to the ones and read the ones we already have. I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through what's on my nightstand in the next 20 years. You know, so, but here's what we do need. We do need more stories and sermons from people who have sat around this campfire with God face to face and who walk away and their face is glowing from that fire because they were intimate with God. They spent intimate time with God and now they're sharing that. Yeah. That the world needs. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to talk to you about today. And, and a lot of times the scars we're talking about in your own life, the scars of your story, those are the things that God uses to reach out in authentic ways to other people. In Japan, there's this art called kintsagi. And basically what it means is when they have fine china dishware, and this has been going on for centuries with their art, artists there, if it breaks, they will take the broken pieces of the cup or of the dish, and what they'll do is they'll take this liquid gold and put it back together. And so when it's back together, you see the liquid gold creates these threads in it. It's very visible. It changes the whole look of the piece. In other words, they're not trying to hide the scars. They're actually celebrating and making beautiful what was broken. And that's what God does with us. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. The word brokenhearted means shattered. So literally, he takes our shattered hearts, and his primary purpose in Isaiah, he said, for coming was to set us free and to heal our hearts. Not, not so we would get our act together. Not so that we could just finally shape up. It was to heal our broken hearts. Well, in your stories that you tell, think of that liquid gold in your own scars. That that's, gives you a strength. That gives you a visible way to reach other people that only you can do. And if you don't do it, those stories go untold. So we don't need just another book on the Lord's Prayer. We don't need just another book on the Holy Spirit. What we need is your unique voice, your unique story based on your unique scars and your unique life. And you only find that when you are intimate with the author of your story daily in the creative process. And I hope we get a, a chance in a few minutes, Gabe, we'll talk about what does that look like rather than just as a concept, you really need to do this because if it stays a concept, it's hard to, to experience it. Yeah, but it, it takes so much time. I mean, it's what, what we're describing seems like it's such a slow process. You mean it's like, well, I've got to really dig in deep with God for a long period of time before I can even start chapter one? Why can't I just start? But I, I think that when we take this approach, it actually ends up saving us a lot of time in the long run. Because rather than just picking a direction and saying, let's go, I'm going to write a book on this, this topic, sometimes when we start down that road, we get halfway into it and we run out of steam. And it's like, well, I, don't, I just spent several months working on this book and the passion is gone. Meanwhile, the Lord was like, did I, that wasn't even what I wanted you to write about. If you would have just taken more time and gone deeper with me and spent more time letting this, the true message solidify, then you would have realized that I was leading you in a different direction. And, and I experienced that. I, uh, seven or eight years ago, I, like I said, I felt called to write. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write a book on, on a youth and children's ministry. And so I was getting ready to start, and then I said, Lord, is this a good idea? 
And he just said, just the voice of the Holy Spirit just said, just start blogging first, Gabe. And so then I started blogging. And what I found over the next few years is he did not want me to write a book on children's ministry because I would have run out of steam after about the first chapter on that. But as I was blogging, two things were happening. Number one, the, the message that he really wanted me to write about came to the surface. The message was solidified. And number two, he used that time period to sharpen my skills as a writer. Because I think if I would have written that first idea of a book, I don't, th I don't think anything would have happened with it. So it, it, it seems like it's such a slow process, but I think in the long run, it actually ends up saving a lot of time. Well, that's, and that's one of our goals for you guys today is to, is to not because this is about efficiency, it's about intimacy, but you will save time in the long run and you will guard your heart, which is the number one thing God says we're supposed to do is above all else, nurture, guard, protect your heart. This is a way to create with your heart fully alive with God. I, as Gabe was saying, I was at a writer's conference last week in Dallas, had about close to 600 people there and here's what most of the, and, and I go to several a year, and most of the writer's conferences focus on craft, the craft of writing, and the business of writing, which is great. You need craft and you need business, but the foundation is what we're talking about today, the intimacy with God, because here's the deal. You can, you can write really well-crafted things that don't have any eternal impact. And secular writers do that all the time. Check out any book by an agnostic or atheist, and it can be really well written in terms of the grammar, the flow, the concepts, and yet it has no eternal value. It's, it's well written, uh, but it doesn't matter. And so what we're talking to you about today is, of course you're gonna learn the craft of writing. That, that's only respectful to the readers. And of course, you're going to need to know the business. And we'll tell you about some of that in a few minutes. But we wanted to start here because so many writers at writers' conferences I see come in full of life, eager, excited. And by the end of the conference, it feels like they're walking out slumped over with 100 pounds of rocks in their backpack. And the reason why is every class they go to gives them new tips and techniques for how to write. And they conflict with each other. They're different. This teacher said I should do this. This, this guy said with social media, I need to spend half my time on social media building up a platform instead of writing because it's all about platform, which is a little bit like saying, me saying to you, hey, you know what? You'll really stand out if you wear a yellow shirt. That's the secret. And then all of you come back after the break in a yellow shirt. <laughs> Nobody stands out, right? All those tips and techniques don't really matter if you don't have the foundation first, which is, God, I want to do this with you. And here, here's a great litmus test for your motive, okay? Just real quick. If you are writing, how many of you are working on a, a book project right now or have an idea for one? Okay, so take that thought, that project, and let's say it's 75,000, 100,000 words. When you finish that, if God said, um, hey, guess what? That book you and I have been writing together, those 100,000 words, Put it in the drawer. That's just for you and me. That was 100,000 words we got to spend together, just for us. And you're thinking, ah, like that's my best stuff. Like that's, this, is, this, this has got to get out. It's going to help people. That's I my can't. ticket. Yeah, that's my ticket. Or that's, 
The world needs this. And God says, I got the world under control. Like, I got that handled. This was us. If you can do that from a whole heart, then you know your motive is primarily, I want to do this with God. He gave me the idea. He gave me the passion. He gave me the story. He gave me the theme. This is for us first. And then whatever he wants to do with it, if it sells 1,000 copies, if it sells 500,000 copies, if I self-publish it, if I go with a publishing house, whatever I do, my validation and identity are not tied up in the performance of my words. That is huge, guys. So many writers, their validation and even their sense of God's approval or God's involvement is based on a man-made definition of success. And it's really the enemy's definition of success, which is, it's this carrot that dangles before you. And so at first it's, if I could only find an agent, and then you find an agent, if I can only get my book taken by a publishing house, bless you, I, that happens. If I can only sell 50,000, 100,000 copies, the carrot always moves, the definition of success always changes. So the question is, what is your definition of success as a writer for what you're working on now? And the one thing I'd want to leave with you as a thought is, there's one guarantee of success you can have. And that is, if you hunger and long to write with God and to do this with Him, it'll happen. That will be achieved. If that's your definition of success, is did this happen with God? Is the birthing process of this story this book, this message, something God and I did together, it'll succeed. If it's anything else, you're making yourself very vulnerable to disappointment and disheartenment. Yeah, the enemy can take a lot of us out on this topic of expectations because if the book doesn't become a bestseller, I think oftentimes it's easy for us to think, well, that was a waste of time. Why did I spend so much time writing this when only uh, 50 copies were, were sold. Meanwhile, maybe the Lord is smiling and saying, well done, really well done. And so throughout this process, I, I really sense the Lord keep bringing me back to this point of, he, he was saying, Gabe, make this prayer a simple prayer. And the prayer he kept teaching me was, God, may your purposes for this book be fulfilled. And he was teaching me to keep my hands open. And whatever his purposes were, and sometimes I was so blown away by things and opportunities that came after the book was done. Other times I was like, God, I thought, I thought you would do a little bit more with this book. And so I had both. I had, wow, this is awesome. And like, wow, that was a lot of work. And come on, Lord, where are you at? And I think meanwhile, he was just sitting back saying, Gabe, I thought your prayer was that my purposes would be fulfilled. And so I think that really speaks to motives because along the way as we're crafting the book, if we keep our hands open, if we're committed to intimacy with God, and we, we say, Lord, let your purposes come to pass, that'll be a pretty rich journey, and we're guarding ourselves from being taken out by, by discouragement. Yeah, and let me um, just add, this should be a really joyful journey. Yes, writing is hard. Like any, like any artist, it's not easy to create a masterpiece. It is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But it should be fun. It should be fun. You're creating with the creator of the universe, the one who made the oceans and the sky and the beaches and chocolate and stallions. 
you're getting to co-create with him. That should be a blast. It should bring life to you. And when somebody asks you, hey, I heard you were writing this morning. How was your writing time? How was the time you were working on your, your book? If you, you know, if you catch yourself going, well, I got my word count in today. Well, you're measuring it somehow outside of God's presence at that point. I'm convinced God's not really that big into word count. I just don't think he is. He's into the creative process with you. And so if you measure your day on word count or on if your book got an Amazon ranking or if you got the review you wanted or if you got a publisher's interest, you're basing it on man-made things that can be taken away because there's no guarantee on the man-made side of things. But on the God side of things, you're in for the adventure of a lifetime. And those are the real books that we need. Those are the sermons we need. Those are the blogs we need. And when you find that, your voice will be so unique that if somebody else tried to steal your work and, and put their own name on it and go out on the road and talk about it, they couldn't do it. They couldn't fake it enough because they don't have your experiences. But if you're writing on something where if I read your, if I read your work and your work and your work and your work and I, and I knew all of you and I couldn't tell who wrote what, that's a problem because we don't just need dry teaching. We need life experience woven into the words vulnerable life experience yeah and you said something that that struck me you were talking about we have the privilege of creating with the creator and that's he has something unique to say through each of us and you you just hit on that but i think what the enemy wants to say is you have nothing to say worth listening to so for those of you who raised your hand and you're in the process of writing a book how many of you have felt some resistance in the process of writing a book there is resistance there because the enemy doesn't want the message that God has put in your heart to be told. And so he'll come and he'll try to cut you off at the knees and say, oh, you don't have anything to say worth listening to or why are you wasting your time? There is resistance that's really real. So we have to zoom out and say, wait a minute. The creator is wanting to create and share this message through me. And so I just feel that, I feel like that pretty strongly. I, I, that could be a word for some of you that maybe even the enemy is trying to convince you to give up on the project. But I believe what the Lord is saying is, I am speaking through you. And so don't, don't give up on this project. Don't let the enemy convince you that you have nothing to say. That's a lie. And to Gabe's point, why would the enemy have a unique hatred for creatives? Well, I believe God's first way of describing himself in Scripture is as creator. The enemy can't create. The enemy was a created being. He's the father of and the author of lies. He's not an author of anything original or fresh. He destroys, he distorts, he doesn't create. I think the enemy hates what you guys are doing because he can't do it, and you remind him of the father. And it infuriates him. He's not going to really oppose the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. Why, why would he, right? Like, but he will oppose you if you're writing words of life. He hates that. And so just remember the scripture that says, resist the enemy and he'll flee. But no resistance, no flee. And so when you're writing and you, you feel like I can't, the words, I had the words and I forgot the words or it's not coming together. 
or I, I'm just in a fog, or I'm in a, I'm in a really bad place. Right, resist the enemy. You resist him. Don't ask God to take the enemy away. You resist him. In terms of saying, you are not going to stop my writing. I'm doing this with God. Now, leave. Flee. It doesn't have to be this 30-minute King James English, you know, prayer or anything dramatic. It's just simply saying, no, no, I'm not that man. I'm not that woman. I'm not buying those lies. Flee. And then continuing to write with God. But it will be, it will be opposed. If your words have any eternal value, then there is an opposition to those words that doesn't just come from your writer's block or a publisher saying no. And I think it's very helpful to bring people in uh, with you in the process. People who ask the Lord, God, who do you want me to share this with? And he'll encourage you through other people. And so consider that as well. Who, As you're writing, who does God want you to specifically share your, your content with? Somebody who can give you good feedback. Somebody who can cheer you on uh, along the way. So uh, we're gonna, we have time for questions and answers in just a few minutes, but here's a guy who spent 20 years in the publishing industry. And so speak to what do, what do people need to know from the publishing side? Most of us have no idea what happens inside a publishing house. How are, how are decisions made? Who's published? Who's not published? What can we do to increase our chances to be published? So just take some time and, and speak into that. Okay. For the longest time, I would say up until probably, I mean, just roughly the mid to late 90s, 2000, publishing had not changed for centuries. Books were made the same way. You couldn't really self-publish easily because you couldn't afford to pay $20 to have a book made and then have 100 copies in your garage and not know what to do with them. And so really the only way to get published was to go through a publishing house. Well, Amazon really changed that model, and they changed it for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is they know the end consumer. Publishers don't. Publishers really drop the ball on that, me included, as an industry, because we don't know the end reader. So we, our customer as a publishing house is the bookstore. We knew the bookstore contacts by name. We didn't know who bought the books from the bookstore. The bookstore often didn't know who bought the books from the bookstore. The authors didn't know who bought the books from the bookstore. So there's a real disconnect between creator, author, and reader. Amazon changed that because they knew exactly who bought every book. They have your history for the past X years on everything you bought in every category. Bookstores couldn't compete well against Amazon because of the efficiency, so bookstores started going out of business, the brick and mortar stores, like Borders, for instance. Well, now all of a sudden, publishers are losing their primary contact, which are the brick and mortar retailers. Amazon's growing, and the, and the publishing houses are shrinking, at least in their staff and in their ability to serve writers. And they're getting a little bit panicked because they're realizing, now what if Amazon starts publishing books? They already know who the reader is. They already have all the research of what's selling and they can get it to them overnight. And now they have the Kindle, so now it's digital. And so it really changed the dynamics, and I'm just giving you a, a like what we could spend a day on in, in five minutes, but all that to say, it's never been harder to be on the publishing side, and it's never been better to be on your side. 
Now as a writer, you don't have to go through a publishing house. You can. You know, it's, it's not easy because they're publishing less books and every book has to have a bigger following built in. So before, publishers were really gatekeepers of what might work. So they would get proposals in, they would be the tastemakers, you know, wow, this author, I think this is gonna be big next year, let's do it. Nowadays, they don't know how to do that anymore, and so they basically say, how many followers do you have? Because we're not gonna, we don't know what's gonna work, and we don't wanna take a risk, but if you have 100,000 you know, likes on Facebook, or if you have this huge built-in, if you're a pastor of a church with 20,000 people, well, that's a no-brainer. We'll take your book. We don't know if it'll work, but we'll take it. Nowadays, though, you have the ability to say, I actually know my audience more than the publishing house. And if I'm a first-time writer, I'm probably not going to get a big advance. They're going to forever own the book, and it's going to get maybe a few thousand dollars in marketing, which isn't enough to really do anything, but it's all they have money to do and staff to do. So it may make sense to go with the publishing house if you have this one-of-a-kind book in, in a national platform or a best-selling writer. But if you're a beginning writer, nowadays it's almost equally well to say, I have a way to reach my own readership. I'm going to, to start. I may eventually sell that book to a publisher, but I own the book and I own the destiny of that book that way. So nowadays, self-publishing or indie publishing is extremely viable. Neither path is easy. If you just write a book and put it up on Amazon, it's kind of like if no one's in the forest, you know, like nobody's going to know. So you're not going to sell any. So it's not just writing it and putting it up on, on Amazon. It's you have to have a following or you do have to have some group of people that say, hey, I love what you're writing. I want more of that. And a lot of ways to start for most people are blogs. If you can't get somebody interested in reading 500 words for free, why do you think they're going to buy 80,000 words? Like, and so, and it's also a good way to hone your writing craft. And so if you, you need some group of people that are saying, we like what you're speaking on, we like what you're writing, blogging, podcast is another way. Have a weekly podcast. It's never been easier to do a 15-minute podcast. If you can't get people interested, though, in that theme or topic, why would a publisher choose to publish a book? Or why would you even self-publish a book when you haven't proven, yeah, there's this message that people are really resonating with based on who I am and the way I say it and what I've lived. This is what God's called me to do. And so you don't need a huge audience. If you have 500 people, 300 people, and those five or 300 people are super passionate about your writing, and they tell five or 10 people, you're set. You're not gonna be a millionaire, but you're set. If you wanna be a writer, you will have a base to write to at that point. Um, the, the thing about a publishing house, just for those who are interested in that, what do they look for? Well, we have what's called in publishing uh, circles an acquisition meeting. And so that means agents, most of the time for a publishing house, it has to go through an agent. That means you have to have an agent interested in your book first. Agents make their living based on things they think will work. So if you can't find an agent to take your proposal, then a great question is to ask them without being offended, well, okay, tell me, tell me what's missing or why. Because they're, they're like trained fishermen. If there's going to be fish, they know how to get them. And so if, if 10 agents out of 10 turn your manuscript down or your proposal down, 
it's easy to go, well, they just don't know what they're doing. But the reality is they do know what they're doing. So ask them, and maybe three or four will actually tell you, well, here's why. Here's why we couldn't take this. Because they're the gatekeepers to publishing houses. So then they, they represent it to the publisher. If it gets brought in and the, and the editorial team likes it, it goes to an acquisition meeting. An acquisition meeting is in about 30 minutes to an hour. They'll go through three, four, five proposals. The editorial, the marketing team, the publisher. And your book may have five minutes of discussion. Now, there's not a lot of time in five minutes to think through everything and talk through everything. So you have to have a proposal that really sparkles. What is the hook of your book? If I were to ask you in the lobby, if you said, hey, I've got this book I'm so excited about. Well, tell me what it's about. What I don't mean is take 20 minutes and ramble on until I don't know anymore what you're talking about. And, and I'm totally lost. What it means is give me two sentences that makes me say, oh, whoa, 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 tell me more. I want to hear more. Most authors don't master that. You have to be able to describe your content in a few sentences. If it doesn't sound unique, keep working on it. If it isn't unique, then really keep working on the book itself because we don't need another book that somebody else has already written. This is now written by you, right? So that acquisition meeting, it goes fast, but guess what? If they take your book and then those very people are presenting it to Barnes & Noble or to Lifeway, Christian stores, or wherever, in those meetings, I'm talking about once your book's been bought by the publisher, it's got the cover, it's got the catalog page, they have about two minutes to present it to the Lifeway or Family Christian Store or Barnes & Noble bookseller. And, and those people in that room have been listening to pitches all day long, all week long, from every publisher you can imagine. And so when they start saying, okay, hey, this next book is on, well, the buyer is looking at this and they're checking their phone. And if your idea doesn't pop, they may take one copy. They may not take any. And so that's why you have to crystallize the idea of your book down into, I do this. This is what readers will get in a way that makes somebody go, I want to hear more. Like, this is a really disruptively fresh, cool, unique idea about God, about life, about marriage, about sexuality, about community, whatever it may be. That's the goal. And if you can sell an agent on that, and then you can sell a publisher on that, you're in good shape. If you want to self-publish it, you still have to have that ability to talk in those words. Because at the end of the day, you know, songwriters in some ways have it easier than, than authors, I think, because you can let somebody listen to your song in two and a half minutes. If you tell me, hey, I've got, Alan, I've got this 80,000 word book, would you just take a, would you just read it and tell me what you think? Wow, well that's gonna take me four or five days. You know, that's, and it's a lot of, it's a lot in there. And so you have to do that work on the front end to make it so compelling and unique that the people who are in your tribe, in your audience, who love what you say, who need what you say from your blog post, podcast, everything are like, give me more. I want more. This works. This is needed. This is helping me heal. This is helping me be a better man, woman. Whatever it is, that's what it has to have. And if you do that, you're really well on your way to not maybe making a living out of being an author. Let me, let me give you a couple of stats. This was from just a few years ago, but I think it's only gotten worse than this. <laughs> and I don't say to be, I'm just giving you a reality check. 95% or more of authors who get an advance from a publishing house 
and advances any upfront money, whether it's $5 or whether it's $5 million, 95% of those books never earn out. Never earn out meaning that author never sees any more money than the advance. They don't get royalties, which if your book earns out, if you got paid 10000 for your book, and then after the first six months it sold enough copies to earn out $10,000 in profit, then you start getting checks in the mailbox, royalty checks every quarter. 95% of the time, none of those checks ever get written. The author loses, the publishing house loses. Everybody loses. And, and the reader never bought enough copies to, to know what the book was and talk about it. So that's why if you self-publish, you get no advance, right? And you have to pay for the cover, and you have to pay for the editorial work. But if you have three, $4,000 to do that, $5,000 could be less, and you have a book that really resonates with people, you'll earn that back selling four or 500 copies of the book. And then if you're selling the book for $20, you're making over $10 a book. You don't need to sell 100,000 copies of a book to have a little bit of a nice income. But you do need to have something that's unique and you need to have a way to tell the space of people why they need to buy it and, and actually have them be excited about it and actually evangelize others and tell 10 other people. If, you're, if your writing can do that, whether you self-publish or publish at a publishing house, you really can do some amazing things. But it's, it's also something you just probably can't count on as your sole income. Yeah, so there's, there's good news that I'm hearing, and there's also there's a reality to the publishing, uh, the publishing industry. But the good news, like you're saying, is self-publishing now, it's, in the past it, it probably was looked down upon, but there are very good editors out there who will edit it for you. There's very good graphic designers out there. So in the midst of the reality of the publishing industry, there's still... It's awesome that, that uh, there are more options than, than just that. So Alan spends an entire day breaking this stuff down, eight and a half hour sessions. And so we have one hour, so it's condensed. But um, we did want to leave some time at the end for Q&A. That was a record. That was like 0.37 seconds right here. But here's the catch. You just have to speak loudly so everybody can hear you with your question. Well, it's, can everybody hear her question? She's saying you're always growing in Christ and you're always um, learning. So if you have a book go out, what happens then when there's more? Like you learn more later. And I think there's a couple of things. Part of it is don't ever position yourself as the know-it-all on a certain subject because you, we don't. Like, you know, and so if you, if you, Don Miller's a great example of this. Philip Yancey's a great example of this. They don't write as, you know, let me tell you everything you need to know on this. They're entering into the mystery with you. And so part of it is posture. Part of it is if you self-publish, you can make updates in your book anytime you want to. For, you know, if you're printing 50 at a time, 25 at a time, great. The next 25, you don't have to get a publisher's okay, which, by the way, if, if you're not selling very many copies, they're never going to reprint that book uh, or spend more time on it. But 
you can have the flexibility to do that. So I think part of his posture, you don't start out by saying you're an expert. You start off saying, I'm a fellow traveler. And part of it is, are you in a format where you can update it if you really wanted to? And you, and you can if you're self-publishing. Yeah, I have two thoughts on that. I think it, it speaks to the, what we were talking about earlier about being patient with the process, not trying to just rush out of the gates and finish it. Because then you'll look back and say, oh, I really didn't think that through very well. The other, the other thought is, is run it by other people. Get feedback. I know that feels vulnerable when you, you put yourself out there and you ask people for feedback because the feedback they offer might be, eh, I don't agree with that. Um, but sometimes that's the best thing that, that can happen uh, in, in the process of birthing a book is letting other people speak into it. For me, it was awesome. It was, I had moments like, Really? You don't think this is the greatest thing ever? <laughs> but when I actually listen to what they're saying, I'm like, oh, thank you for being honest. And it really, really helped me. And so I think if we, if we let trusted people speak into it and give feedback, that will help us, that will save us from maybe saying something that we regret down the road. And just one, Gabe, I want to add one thing to your, your point so brilliant on the timing, like let it fully bake. The idea, um, I really wanted to write a, a book on the things we're talking about here with creating with God three years ago, and I did, and I didn't publish it, and I'm so glad I didn't because God has transformed my understanding and the man I am from three years ago to today, where now I'm rewriting it, and it's totally, the theme is the same, but, the, but it's totally different because I'm totally different. And I realize you could say that maybe the rest of your life, like we'll all be growing and changing. But I think you internally know, and God will help you know, when is this idea ready for public consumption? And then on the other side, don't let fear keep you away from it. So. I think, I think um, so you're a pastor, don't have people you oversee give you feedback because there's pressure in that. But go, go outside of that circle and ask people who have no, nothing at stake, where if, if you don't like what they say, there's no, you know, there's no pushback. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, also prayer. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify this, but if the Lord has invited you into this process and you're taking the journey with him, he knows the people who are best uh, suited to give you feedback and speak into the life of the book. And there's also paid editorial help because when you, when and it's finding somebody who does this for a living and there's so many freelance editors now because the publishing industry has shrunk and there's so many more independent writers. So it's not hard to find somebody and when you're, if they're good and you're paying them, it'll probably come back with red all over it. And that's what you want. You know, now you, you don't have to accept those changes. Some of it you may say, they just didn't get what I was trying to say. Other times you realize, I didn't say it, so they could get it. You know, and so that's, paying somebody a few hundred dollars could be gold. Yep, getting to the end of the book is, actually, you're a long way away from the finish line still. If you're doing it the right way, I mean, getting feedback from the editor, uh, because once those, edits come in, it's still a lot of work.
to be able to get it to the to the the polished and, and one thing to pastors i would say like i don't know how many of you are in, i know you are but i don't know how many in the room are pastors but a sermon transcribed does not make a good book and so many pastors would say i want to write a book on this sermon series i did the congregation loved it you know and maybe they maybe the congregation did love it they maybe just showed up because it was sunday and they were showing up because that's where they go to church but but they would say let me give you my recordings of that and just have somebody transcribe it and you've got yourself a book well what works in the spoken word and with your gestures and your personality is very different than written word and so just know even if that series is what you're going to make a book on you need to probably reimagine it from the ground up as a written book and then your primary audience has already heard that message and so they're probably not going to go out and pay 10 bucks to read what they've heard so I think it goes back to knowing your story and what is the unique message the Lord is wanting to communicate through you. So what are some other questions? Yeah. How do you, one more time? Yeah, Alan said his question is how do you how do you communicate your book in a sentence or two that will capture your audience? And you made a point earlier uh, when we were meeting that that well, the jaws in space. What right. what was that story? Yeah, there's a great story um, that I heard recently where this was back in the 1970s, and they jaws had come out and become like the the first really true big blockbuster summer movie. And so now a team was trying to, a separate group of people were trying to sell this concept called Alien. And nobody really wanted the story of this outer space monster. And so all of a sudden they changed their description to, well, it's Jaws in space. And got sold immediately. They didn't change the manuscript or the screenplay, they changed the description. And here's the thing, Jaws in space, if I ask each of you a week from now, how did they describe aliens? Everybody would remember those three words. If I gave you a seven sentence description, nobody would remember how I said it. So part of it is look at how movies, look at movie tagline. Now that wasn't a tagline, that was an internal line. Does anybody remember what the movie poster line was? In space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, so they came up with another good one for the consumer. That's the kind of art, it's, it's, it's really an art, but it's, it's an artist who uses words. You guys are wordsmiths. So it's really coming up with that short, watch what movie posters do, study movie posters. There was one movie that came out uh, that was a bad movie called Aliens vs. Predator a while back. I didn't even see it. You watch a lot of, I was going to say, you I watch a lot of alien one, movies. But I love the tagline, which was, whoever wins, we lose. You know, a great, a great line of, and so study movie posters, study how they position movies, romantic comedies, horror movies, you know, westerns, whatever it is, look at, because the, they only have eight or nine words. Watch the art of how they do that. Look at back cover copy on the type of books you like to read. Look at the headline. I write back cover copy. Um, I did as a publisher and I do now as a freelancer. It's a real art to describe a book in a few hundred words, and the headline is an even bigger piece of art, because that's really, if people don't like the headline, they don't read the next hundred words. So study what's been done, and then if, if that's not your gifting, give it to a friend or somebody who is good at that, 
and test it on some people, you know, but that's, but you need to have it whether you create it or whether somebody helps you with it. Yeah, I like what you said, test it on people, because uh, even if somebody asks you what's your book about and you tell them, in order for that message to spread, ideally you want that person to be telling other people. And so if somebody says, if somebody comes up and asks, which they will if you write a book, what's your book about, and you tell them, call them a couple days later and just say, hey, I, I want to test something out. What, what is my book about? And just see what they say. <laughs> they might say, oh no. <laughs> Busted. But so. don't start. Don't start. If somebody says, hey, what's your book about? Don't start with something like, oh, wow, man, do you have 10 minutes? Because then everybody's thinking, no, how do I back out of this quickly? Again, you want to give them just enough that they ask you for more. You don't want to give them a summary of every chapter and every thought and every concept. It's give them a little something where they go, wait, what? What are you saying about God? Or what are you saying about freedom or, you know, and then let them ask you more. So what you're trying to come up with is what is that that pulls them in? Yeah, we probably have time for one more question. We're coming up uh, at the three o'clock break. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. I would, and I've worked with him on a, like I, he's, I love his writing. I totally disagree with that comment that he made because here's the thing, guys, you can either take in your writing an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality is an orphan mentality. An orphan thinks I only have so much to offer. And if I give it away, I'm hosed, I'm done because that's it, I'm an orphan, okay? An abundance mentality is, I'll give it all away and there'll be more because God is a fresh stream of creativity and ideas and so there's not this guardedness and, and behind a locked door. So what I would say to you is, if God's giving you something, it's not yours anyway, it's his. Like truly, it's not mine, it's not Gabe's, it's not yours, it's his for the kingdom. So. There may be reasons not to blog. That's not one of them. Let people hear it. Let people hunger for more and, and then give them more. You, you don't, you're not going to only have one idea. That's really good. Let's close by, Alan, will you pray over people who have a message stirring in their heart or maybe a book yeah. in process? Let's just, we want to close out today's session by praying for you and the message and the work that uh, God is doing Guys, in you and through you. As I pray, one of the things that I invite you to do is, is pray something like this every day. It's a consecration prayer. You want to consecrate your work to God every day, to give it to Him every day, to make it holy. To get, You want to consecrate your home, your family. If you ever stay in a hotel room, consecrate that before you walk into the room. Give it to God. Give it back to Him. Your writing is a gift. So let's consecrate your writing and then that's something I would invite you to do every time you sit down. Father, we do give you 
all of our talent, all of our ideas, our imagination. We say yes to the invitation you've given us to do this together with you on the playground that you have set before us. God, let it be a joy. Give us words of life. Give us the inspiration and give us the words that other people need, but first that we need with you. Let us press into our story. Let us press in even to the scars of our story to understand the specific message that you want to marry with our words. We give you our, our best, our mind, our heart, our body, our soul, our strength. You shape the words by shaping us. God, we give you our writing and we say yes to whatever you are preparing the way for. Whatever you're inviting us into, we say yes. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we were praying, I just sensed the Holy Spirit was just wanting me to, to share that he is pleased. He's pleased with you as a son or daughter, but he's pleased with you along in this process. He's enjoying this process. He's enjoying that you're willing to write and spend that time. And so uh, just know that. Enjoy enjoy that process with him. One hey, last hey, time. Yeah. I, I just was going to give you guys one homework assignment that I think would be really fun. Okay, two. One is watch... If you haven't seen it, or haven't seen it in a while, watch The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the movie, and notice in there the journal that is shown a couple of times. It's a travel journal that his dad gave him as a boy, and it remained blank. And it says in the top, have fun, dad. And it's a blank travel journal. And it's the story of a guy who had no life who's brought into a life of adventure and story. See yourself in that and get a journal and let that be your writing journal and write on the left-hand page, have fun, God. And then you keep track of the time you spend with him creating in that journal. It's not your finance journal. It's not your prayer journal. It's, it's just your writing creative journal. And the second thing is in that journal, spend some time on your own after this conference or tonight, wherever you are, and ask God this question. God, what do you think of my writing? And then listen. Don't, don't fill in the answer of what you think he would say. Listen and let him tell you. You really think this is the best thing ever, God? <laughs> and, and you'll be amazed at how the father speaks into you as his sons and daughters who he's invited into this. It's a great question to ask him. And the enemy, it makes you bulletproof to the enemy's accusations because you've heard from God what he thinks. That's really good. And if you want, if you want to kind of keep tabs on Alan and more of this message, he, oftentimes he's on the Ransomed Heart podcast with John Eldridge. And so I've heard him on there several times, and oftentimes he's, he's talking about creating with God, and this theme of creativity and letting the Holy Spirit create through us comes, comes out quite a bit. And so I'd encourage you, if you want to keep going deeper, that's one place that you can keep tabs on Alan is that, that podcast. Is the next session at 3.30 or 3? 3.30, okay, awesome. Well, we're out of time. Uh, I hope this was helpful. Thank you, Alan, for sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And uh, I hope you enjoy the next couple days. I pray the Lord will just refresh you. So thank you.